I said I would share with you a message this morning that I've called Seven Laws of Love. I confess to you that as I developed this and planned it within my own thoughts and tried to arrive at things that I wanted to say to you this morning, I kind of got at crossways whether I was going to talk particularly about loving each other or loving God. So I came to this conclusion. When I talk about the seven laws of love this morning, you can apply it to loving one another. You can apply it to our loving God. And you can apply it to God loving us. So I think that every one of these points that I make could cover any one of those or all of them if we fully develop it and fully understand it. When you're going to preach about love, it's hard to find a scripture to start with. Not because there is enough, because there's so much. As I thought about several things that I could read, various places in the scripture, it talks clearly and very explicitly about the very things that I just said. Loving each other, loving God, and God loving us. But this is the verse I want to share with you as the first stepping stone of what I'm going to say this morning. It is in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the chapter that is almost universally known as the love chapter. And this is only one verse. It's the last verse. After great things are said about the significant power of love, it concludes with one final, powerful, impactful statement. This chapter says that love is the greatest power in the life of the believer. And the law of love is to supersede every other law of life. I'm going to say that again. The law of love is to supersede. It is greater than, comes before. It's to supersede every other law of life. Spiritual gifts are wonderful, powerful, great, used of God. But they take a subservient place to the power of love. Read 1 Corinthians 13 if you doubt that statement. There is nothing that God does, ever does, that is more powerful and deposited into our lives than His love for us. Because His love for us is the, expression, is the evidence of and the explanation of all that God does for us. There's no greater power that you will have in your own life that the power of love, if, if you allow God's power of love, God's fullness of God's love, to flow through your life, it will produce everything that you are looking for and that you want to have in your life. Many of the things that you think you ought to have but you do not have. And so when God's love for us is expressed... Our love for him, our love for each other, and then his love for us, 
when his love for us is expressed, is that it is expressed in the most positive ways. The acts of God that he performs in our lives, the acts for which we praise him and glorify him and say, this is the handiwork of the Lord. Those things are prompted, originated out of the depth of his love for us. So if we understand love as the Bible presents it, we will go a long ways toward great victory in our lives. There are a lot of people that I wish were here this morning. But they aren't. And so I'm going to tell this to you. And I know I'm going to touch on some things that... uh, that you may not disagree with, not even find it controversial, but, but at the same time you may not like it. But that's the nature of love, is that sometimes, sometimes love brings to us things that we really don't like. You think it ought to be, well, if it's love, it ought to be, it ought to be just perfect, everything that I do. Like, no, because if it was everything that you like, you'd miss a lot of truth. So the first thing I'm going to tell you is that love is commitment. Whether you're, it, is, it is the epitome of commitment in every way. Commitment of a husband to a wife, a wife to a husband. Commitment of parents to their children. Commitment of individuals to Christ. Then commitment to the place that he puts them in service. Commitment to their church. The committed life has to be present in order for us to have the expression of love in our lives. You can't love without commitments, what I'm saying. Now, I know that if you think about some aspects of love, you want to say, well, Pastor, you're, you're wrong on that. No, I'm not. I'm right. There is no true love without commitment. I'm going to put it in the most basic of terms to explain it. I'll explain this as our love for God, God's love for us, and put it in the... In the in, in, in the most applicable form right now. If you are a married person, whether you're a husband or a wife, well, if you're married, you've got to be a husband or a wife. <laughs> Whichever you are, you have got to be committed to that other person. If you are not, you're in for a rocky, rough road. You're in for a journey that's going to seem many years longer than it is. You'll be wanting to bring it to an end long before the natural end comes to it. You've got to be committed. And when you make those promises, you stand up and make those promises, just like when you stand up and make those promises to God. You make the, when you make those promises and those wedding vows, you're making promises to God. You make those promises to God standing at this altar, you're making promises to Him. Nobody's ever come down here that I know of and made a promise to me. And I've never asked for it because I know better. But many people have come to this altar and have made promises to God. There are a lot of people that have stood at a lot of altars that made promises they didn't keep because they were not committed. They said things to which they were not committed And if you are not committed, I'm not trying to bring guilt on you today, by the way, but I am trying to bring truth to you, so I won't apologize for that. If you're not committed, you are not 
definition of love that the Bible teaches us we must have. Love is commitment. You love God, you've got to be committed to Him. You love others, you're committed to, their, to serving them. God loves us, He is totally committed to us. And we wouldn't want it any other way. Thank God He is. And so, when you say, if you ever do, well, you know, my, my, my cousin, is, he's such a wonderful person, and, and he loves God. He, I, know he, I know he loves God, but was he, no, no, he hadn't been in church in years, but, and, and you know, he, yeah, he's a little, he's kind of addicted, and he, don't, and, and, and he does a lot of things, and he's in jail right now, but he'll be out before long. And, but, 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 but one thing about it is I, I'm glad he loves God. some people that don't love God. In fact, the Bible makes it very clear who does love God. And so I won't call your name. I'll just tell you what it takes. This is what he said. You know, Jesus said this. Jesus said exactly this, 14th chapter of John. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my word, Jesus said. Now, I can't change that to accommodate you. I, I can't change that to make it more convenient for you. I can't even send you to a translation of the Bible that puts it any other way. It's just plainly what he said. And he went on in that very same chapter to say, he, that lo- he who keeps my commandments is the one who loves me. And he will be loved of my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. So if you are if you love God, truly love God, you're committed to Him. You're not committed to a totally separate, ungodly life, because you cannot be in that ungodly life and love God. Now you can have that changed. You can have a revolution in your life. You can have a total reversal. Christ, by His blood and God's grace, can bring you to salvation and change your life, and you won't be like you were any. You won't be like you were before anymore. From the point of that change, God will make a difference for you, and God can do that for you today. This is what I like about even in the Old Testament. You know, Elisha was a great prophet of God, but he was preceded in the great office of prophecy, a prophet to Israel and to Judah. He was preceded by Elijah. So toward the end of Elijah's life, he gave Elijah directions about people to go and to anoint. And he said, anoint Elisha to take your place as the prophet in the land. So Elijah went by the farm of Elisha. And as he walked by, he took the mantle off of his shoulders and he cast that mantle on Elisha. And he said, this is, this is the calling of God, the anointing of God. And Elisha said, let me go with you. And so at that point, Elijah just simply left it with God. So Elisha started to follow it, but Elisha said to him, let me go back and clear some things up, and then I'll come and follow you completely. Elisha said, do what you want to do. It's up to you, between you and God. So this is what Elisha did. When Elijah came to him, he found him out in the field. He was working with 12 yoke of oxen. That was pretty significant in those days. That was like having uh, 
three tractors, a couple of combines, and some other mechanical equipment to get your fields in out of your harvest in out of the fields. He was a well, well Elijah was pretty felt pretty well off man, twelve yoke. Elijah has twenty four oxen, and that wasn't a uh, that wasn't a low level deal in his day. But he went back after the call of Elijah, and he knew God had reached out and put His hand on him with that mantle. He went back. He took all the oxen. He offered them as sacrifice. Then he boiled them, and he offered it to all the people in the area to come and eat of it and receive from it. And all the accoutrements of it, all the the uh, the, the the yoke that had put those uh, oxen together so that they would work together, and all the other parts of his farm implements, he just burned them up, let people take what they wanted and burn the rest because he was burning his bridges behind him. And there's not many places you want to burn your bridges. But when you start out following Jesus Christ, you better burn all the bridges behind you. Get it set up so that you don't look back, so that you don't turn looking in the wrong direction. Get it set up so I am going to walk forward. I'm going to move ahead with him. I am committed. I have sold out to Jesus Christ. I have given my life to him without reservation, and I will not turn back. No matter what happens, I will not turn back. I have decided to follow Jesus, we say. No turning back. No turning back. I get disturbed when I see older people get weak. And I know, I know, I know when you get older, you get a few creaks in your bones. Not as easy to get up in the morning as it used to be. I know somebody told me it was that late. You know, I, They told me it was like that, and I believe them. So, so it, it, it kind of it makes a change in your life as, as you get on down the road. But listen, friend, your commitment to Jesus Christ does not weaken, is not lessened. I am not saying that as you get closer to the end of your life that you will be able to be everywhere you could be when you were a younger person. But I am going to tell you this. You better not back away from your commitment to Jesus Christ. Don't come to the end of your life living a weaker life for the glory of God than you have done in the past. You don't have to be filled with youth to be filled with faithfulness. Stand up and make that commitment. I talk to too many people are too far along in life, not too far, because if they were too far, God would take them, but too far to feel like they can do everything they used to do. Well, it's not going to happen. You won't be able to do the same thing, but what you will be able to do is stay committed to Jesus Christ. You don't, you don't just decide, I'm going to come to church once in a while. I'm going to witness somebody once in a while. I'm going to pray now and then. My eyes are not strong enough to read the Bible. I am telling you that as long as you're living in this world and you have made a commitment to Jesus Christ, you ought to plan to finish the race and finish it strong. Paul said, I have finished my course. I finished my course. I've run the race. I've kept the faith. But here's the thing. I finished my course, and I finished strong. A few years ago, I made that decision. I decided the one thing I wanted to do, the one thing I could do and wanted to do, that I could have a direction in my life, I could finish strong. And so I roused myself and started to pray, started to seek God again, and ask God to move in my life as he had long years ago. And he started to do that, and he did do that, and he made a change. He brought me to a different status in my life. He brought me to a new place in my life. He brought me to a greater understanding.
he said, I will use you. And he raised me up and started to use me for his glory. Not because of me, but because of him. Not because of what I did, but because of what God can do. When we'll be totally committed to him and let God do it. So what you started out with is what you need to finish up with. But stronger even than when you began. I'm not going to be able to finish this message. I don't know why I just got on one point. I said on one point all this time. <laughs> the benefit to you is, instead of talking about seven, I've been, it looks like I'm just going to talk about one or two of them. And I'll come back with the other ones maybe at some other time. I've got seven here, but the first one was commitment. There's no allegiance. You, be, you must allow no allegiance. No allegiance in your life to be greater than your allegiance to Jesus Christ. Now you've, you've, got to, you've got to think this through. All those amens are wonderful, and I appreciate it. You've got to think this through when I say that. You have a higher allegiance to Jesus Christ. I'd have to have a long time to teach and put this into context. But I want you to understand that I'm saying this legitimately from the Bible. You can have no higher allegiance. Do not allow any allegiance in your life to supersede your allegiance to Jesus Christ. It can't be a higher allegiance to anybody in your family. Jesus made it very, very clear. If it comes to a decision between him and anybody else in this world, you've got to choose him. He put it this way. You cannot love me unless you... Unless you hate mother and father. Now, he didn't mean for people to hate their mother and father. He's just making the comparison to say, your love for me must take a precedent over love for anybody and anything else. I, I hope you love people in your life. Love people. There's some of you who had difficult childhood. I hope you've overcome that in forgiveness by the grace of God. And in your heart, in your heart, you've been able to say, I love those people who mistreated me. You may not get to be able to say it to them. Maybe too late to them. Years have passed. They've gone. You can't say it to them. But in your heart, I want you to have a, a, a love that puts your life in balance. But when it comes right down to the final point of that, the only way you can do that, the only way that can happen, is for you to have total allegiance to Jesus Christ. Only he can make that possible. So people who wounded you and hurt you early in your life, you can, you can cast that aside and care about it no longer. And people who hurt you today, people, who, people who, who bring hurt and harm to your life today, you're living with that. Some of you are. I know I pray with some of you about that. You brought things to me that I pray for with you. And as I, if you ask me to pray for it with you, I do pray. I know things are going on in your lives. But I want to tell you that when you have a complete, sold-out allegiance to Jesus, He will do things for you that you never could imagine or ever would have believed could be done. He will bring you into victory places that you thought did not, did not know existed. He will bring you to a higher level than you ever realized was there. He will bring you into a greater fullness than you could have ever imagined on your own because Jesus is the answer to all of our Life issues, life struggles, life problems. He is the answer to it all. But we do not know what his answers are until we commit ourselves and sell ourselves out to him. 
We've got to sell out completely in total commitment, with the, not with the idea, if this doesn't work out, I can do this other thing. No! If you're committed, it's going to work out. You're going to be victorious. You're going to overcome. If you don't quit, God won't quit on you. A lot of people don't make things because they say, well, you know, I'll take this job. If it doesn't work out, I'll, I'll, I'll quit and go look for another one. Don't build much of a career that way, but, you know, you can. that's a good way to get rid of people that bother you. Just move on and give up. A lot of people look at their families that way. A lot of people look at their husband and wife that way. Well, I would say a lot of people, some people. <laughs> I don't know how many. It doesn't matter. You should never do that. You should never look at it. Say, I've got another alternative. The only alternative you have is to fail God. And that's not a genuine, legitimate alternative. That's a stupid alternative. You say, I'm going to give up everything to walk with him, then you do it. You make up your mind to do it. You settle to do it. It may be a cost. Yes, there is. But love costs something. Love isn't cheap and love isn't free. Love requires commitment. You've got to be committed to live in it. You can't live in love like you're floating around on the clouds. Whether it's a romantic love and you think you found the love of your life, you come to find out it was the love of the moment, not the love of the life. (laughs) Sorry about that one. It didn't happen to me. Praise God. Praise God it didn't happen. But, you know, it does. But I'm telling you where you are right now. There are a lot of things you can't go back and change. A lot of things you can't change. But I can tell you what you can change. You can change today. You can change tomorrow. You can change your life to be where God wants you to be and what God wants you to do. You can do that by making a commitment to Him. And love requires. You cannot love God without that commitment. But I am going to tell you this. I'm going to tell you this. God will love you if you don't make that commitment to Him. And the pastor, why should I do it? Because you want to have a life of victory. I'm I'm talking about God will always love you and be ready to save you. God will always love you and be ready to receive you. He may not like your actions or love your deeds or to be in accord with your decisions. And surely that is the case a lot of times. But he loves you nevertheless. You, however, cannot love God without that commitment. God's committed to you. You have to fulfill that commitment on your part. God is committed to you. He made that commitment at the cross. He settled it all at the cross. God's love for you can never be denied. If you don't believe God loves you, you don't believe that you're living in the love of God, then you're having difficulty believing what the Word of God says and the direct and true promise that God's made to every one of us. So what I want to tell you today, and and I've only covered one point of one law of the seven laws, so maybe I'll have seven sermons out of this. I don't know. But but I think what I've said to you this, this morning is important. But I'm going to say to you that there's one thing. See, there are, there are many things that other people can do for you. You can be committed to somebody on some, in a job, committed to somebody in some relationship, committed to somebody 
as a friend and all levels of commitment. But, but, but God is committed to you all out, completely, totally. God is committed to you. And there's one thing, there's one thing that God can do for you that nobody else can do. Nobody in all of your life could ever do one thing for you. There are are many things that other people could do for you, care about you, want good for you, want to help you, want to benefit you. There are many things people can do for you. There's one thing nobody else can do for you. There's one thing that only God can do for you. No matter where you look, no matter where you search, no matter how long you're trying to find the answer, no matter whose philosophy you delve into, no matter whose, whose books you get and read, no matter how much you learn about different things along the way, no matter how much you learn about Buddhism or Confucianism or Mohammedism or, or, or Judaism, no matter how much you learn about all these things, it may be educational, but it's not salvational. I just picked that word salvational. <laughs> it, it, may, it may educate you, but it won't save you. There's only one, one, only one can save you. And he, and he is the only one who can do that ever, 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 ever. The only one who can ever save you. So no matter what you do, no matter how far you go in your search, no matter how much you delve into all of these philosophical, esoteric things that many people don't know and you're so advantaged to know them because you learned them, it doesn't matter in eternity. The only thing that matters for eternity is that God is committed to you. His love commits him to you. And he will do the one thing for you that nobody else in all the world, in all the universe, in all of life, in all of time, what nobody else can do for you. If you call on the name of his son who died for you, he will save you. He will save you. I often have said, and I've said said it numbers of times as I've tried to give parts of my testimony here and there, I believe when God saved me and all those many years ago, and I I found that it holds up, there's a lot of things that don't seem to last. This has lasted me all these years. Most of my life has lasted me. When he saved me, he just he just wrapped me up in his love and kept me. And I said that when I look at where my life was when Jesus came to save me. I don't want to believe he didn't he didn't just save my, my soul. I believe he saved my life. He saved my life. I, I, the, my future held nothing but darkness and despair. I had nothing. I could have I could have done something educational. I could have done something intellectually. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about spiritually knowing what life is all about. I never would have known. I never would have known except the Lord came in, spoke to me by his Holy Spirit, and saved me. And when he saved me, he, not, he didn't just save my soul for eternity. He saved my life for every day that I would live on this earth. And that's what God wants to do for every one of you here who've not already experienced that. He wants to save your life. He wants to save you for this life and for eternity. That's what the power of God does when we yield to Him. Love is commitment, and God is committed to us. No greater commitment could ever be expressed as God wraps up everything about us in our lives. No greater commitment could ever be than this. 
God commends his love toward us. He proves as he expresses his love towards us. He commends his love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So Jesus died in the ultimate commitment of love to us. I want to share that with you today if you don't know him as personal Savior. There are those of you here in this church this morning who just recently have given your heart to the Lord. You've, you've come to Jesus. Turn yourself over to him. As I close this service this morning, you may want to come to this altar again. You may want to stand here again. There's nothing ever wrong with that. You won't come to the altar. You won't get in the presence of God where God is moving. You will never have that happen too many times. So, that, so, so if you have recently come to the Lord, everything that you do to affirm that, to establish that, to, to assure yourself of that commitment that you've made, that can be as solid as his commitment to you. Your commitment to him can be as solid as his commitment to you. It's always good to, to, to affirm that and confirm it in every way. But I'm going to say to you this morning, if, if, if that's a decision that you need to make, a commitment to Jesus Christ that you have not made, this is the day, this is the time, and we're coming right now to the moment for you to do that. I want every person in here, please, to stand with me right now. Stand with me right now. And as you stand, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. Bow your heads before the Lord in reverence to the Lord. And I'm going to ask over this congregation this morning, anybody in this congregation today who will say, Pastor, I want you to pray for me that I will make this decision for Jesus Christ in my life. And I, and I, and I promise you, if you ask for prayer, I will pray for you. 